This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio Season 5, Episode 17. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 17 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funyhatton and Randy Ziganfoos, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziganfoos. And I'm Lynn Funyhatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hello. So today we're speaking with Carla Phillips and Amy Jenkins, and a little bit about our guests. Carla is a policy director for personalized learning at Excel in Ed, and previously she served as the special assistant to the deputy superintendent of policy and programs at the Arizona Department of Education. Carla also served as the Education Policy Advisor for the Governor and as a Senior Policy Advisor for Arizona's House of Representatives. And Amy Jenkins is a COO and a Managing Partner at Ed Elements, a consulting organization focused on helping school districts become more dynamic, responsive, and student-centered. She started her career as a middle school teacher co-founded the local branch of a national nonprofit after-school program, and worked at both New Schools Venture Fund and Monitor before joining Education Elements. So welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. So let's start our conversation today with a personal story about how each of you has gotten connected to this work. Sure. Uh, it sounds maybe a little bit trite, but when I was in college, I took this really amazing class, which exposed me to how lucky I had been my whole life, that I was born into a place and a family where I was able to really get an excellent education. And that class got me thinking about all of that in a way that I could give back, and I decided to teach. So my career path after teaching was a series of roles where I could impact education in different and broader ways. I went from teaching a few classes at a middle school in Oakland to supporting kids in multiple schools to running an after-school program, and then eventually to the company where I am today, which works with districts, and now I'm serving hundreds of thousands of kids. And all along the way, I kept looking for that bigger impact, but always had a set of students in mind who had touched me during those first few years of teaching. I really believe that uh, all students should be able to have an excellent and amazing education, and then no one should be worse off because of where they live. And so I've dedicated all of my time towards that. How about you, Carla? Well, my path has been a little bit different, as you can tell from the resume that you laid out there. I'm kind of a policy wonk. And so at that time in my life, I knew I wanted to transition to the public sector. I was in the private sector. And so I began my master's program in public policy at Arizona State University. But honestly, it was listening to the speeches by our then state superintendent, Lisa Keegan, 
who motivated me to focus on education. She was traveling around the state talking about no excuses schools and how demographics and money shouldn't determine kids' success. And I, I literally just got motivated and I still consider her a great mentor. So after about 12 years at the state capitol, that in a variety of roles I was very lucky to have had, I joined Excel and Ed to really help them figure out a policy path for mastery-based personalized or just next-gen learning in general across the country, kind of honoring the unique policy context for each state. But honestly, recently, it's been the shepherding of my own children, which I know all, a lot of us can relate to. When you have two kids that are, of course, very different and unique, and you try to guide them through their own educational journeys, it really makes you think about the policies and the things that we're talking about nationally and how it really impacts kids. Mm -hmm. So I'm making the connections to you. I have a 15-year-old son, so I'm thinking about sort of how does your lens shift as your kids progress through the educational system and the opportunities that they have or, or don't have. You mentioned you both have very different backgrounds, and you, I don't know, you called yourself a policy, what was that word you used? Wonk. <laughs> which, a policy wonk, which even that term <laughs> is probably inside baseball, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so you both have different perspectives on a similar set of issues. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing at the different levels that you work at? And, and um, Carla, let's start with your perspective and sort of the state bigger picture. Sure. So I am beginning my fifth year with the foundation, and it has been fascinating to see how much change, interest, and momentum has shifted just in five years. Um, you know, three to five years ago, the conversation was really about how states could incentivize and motivate schools. We needed pilot programs and grants uh, to get them interested in transitioning to these next-gen models or innovating more broadly. But now, honestly, we're trying to catch up. I um, feel like I'm just trying to get my arms around how much is happening across the country, which is a, an exciting place to be and a great problem to have. But now we're really thinking about how can we get schools together, form networks and leverage their experiences and learn from them rather than trying to have to talk them into it. Okay. You know, early on, the idea was that we had to eliminate these policy barriers and it had been really a commonly understood goal. But now we know there's really no prohibitive barriers, but there are a lot of obstacles that schools have to work around. So I joke very often and very publicly, which Amy's probably heard me say a million times, I'm not even looking for policy barriers anymore. I'm looking for the band-aids schools have developed to fix and patch these policy workarounds that they're developing. Hmm. So that's why my work with partners like Amy and the Elements is so valuable because she's on the ground, as she's going to talk about, and I need to hear from school leaders and people like Amy about what they're really seeing and hearing and what the problems that they're facing. But interestingly, I think the most consistent problem schools and states have faced in this work has been communications and messaging. And it's actually funny because you heard my background. It's all policy. That's, the, that's where my head lives. But the more I got involved with states and schools, the more I realized that this was the number one thing they were all struggling with, how to describe it, how to define it. And there's policy implications tied to those as well. And I think we all know how difficult it can be to do this. And this is really where my work with Amy and Ed Elements intersected. Because we know, again, that language has policy implications, but just as important, a successful communications plan really needed to build community support and long-term successful and scalable implementation. From my perspective, it's been really great working with Carla on different projects because our work informs each other. The way Carla was just talking about the districts that I'm supporting and the Ed Elements work with really need state and national policies. And those are things that 
Carla is able to help create. She's able to help states to think about the conditions of success because um, she's got the ear of politicians. She's sitting and she's working with state boards of education. She's helping them think through challenges and the fact that we're able to talk and she's able to know what I'm hearing and do something about it. And I'm able to understand the state perspective is really helpful. We're starting to see a lot of shifts in the way that people think about the role of technology and the importance of student-centered learning. If I think back to when we started, uh, we started in late 2010 and I joined the organization in 2012. A lot of those early adoptions were really focusing on putting districts, uh, I mean, excuse me, were put into putting devices into the classrooms. And several years into these technology initiatives, a lot of districts are coming to us and they're saying, this isn't enough. We put these devices in these classrooms, but they're not doing anything. And we really need to make bigger changes in order to see bigger changes. And those changes are not about what they're putting into the classroom. They're about changing things like the mindset and the culture and the pedagogy. So I wish all of this had happened sooner, but it's really good to see this renewed focus on instruction and just this recognition that technology is a lever and a tool, but it's not the end state. And we need to really go beyond that. It's one of the reasons that we wrote the paper on communications and why it matters so much. Districts really need to solidify why they want to make the changes, what their goal is, what their purpose is, what they hope to see have happen. And they need to be able to communicate it in a way that tells their stories. Part of this is about shifting the story and making sure this is a story about learning and it's not a story about technology. So I think there are a number of things there that our listeners will connect with. First is just to see the synergy between two different paths, different areas that you work in still working towards the same goals too. So I think, you know, as a leader, I ask myself the question, like, how am I synergizing with some of the, the folks who might be in adjacent spaces that could help accelerate this work? So I think looking at your your work together and your partnership is is really thought provoking. And then this idea of barriers versus obstacles too. And it's just so easy to say we have these barriers, but I think it's interesting to hear Carla say it's not barriers. It's more about what are those obstacles there too, and how do we identify those, and and how do we message um, in a way that helps us to push back against some of those barriers or mitigate some of those things there too. So a couple of couple of different connections. Um, you speak with state leaders, um, and so if you could tell them one thing. And I'm very curious to hear your answers here. Yeah. What would you want that to be? Well, you know, that's a hard one because I can come up with a list of policy barriers and statutes and frameworks. But honestly, I would want them to hear pretty much what Amy just said, that uh, the policy leaders that I speak with are interested in, you know, helping facilitate schools to transition to new, more student-centered next-gen models but I need to let them know that successfully changing schools isn't about just implementing a model or piloting something or bringing technology in, but it's really about changing the culture and mind staff of staff, mindset of the staff in the broader community. And I think educators want to know that state leaders are willing to change as well. So it has to go both ways because they don't always think they have the support of the state um, and the state needs to rethink its goals and expectations for schools as well. 
Yeah, I think I'd want state leaders to hear what we're doing now just isn't working. I'd like them to listen to the leaders and the teachers and the students and open up more avenues for them to transform. And when they put an idea out there, when they put out a policy, I'd like for them to put some money and support and realize we can't just tell people to change. We can't even just open it up and make it available for them to change. But we need states to also put some support behind that. So that's, I mean, that's like music to our ears, right? (laughs) So what role do we play as district leaders in terms of influencing policy and talking to um, our policymakers? You know, how do we collaborate in this joint venture to really um, think about what the what the barriers are and and how to best um, help our policymakers understand them and mitigate them also? You're going to see my bias here uh, right now, but I think it's about telling stories and sharing your successes. Uh, There's different things in different states, but as district leaders, if you on your websites and in the mainstream media and on social media, if you start talking about what's working and showing successes, and if you start sharing the challenges and letting people see how they're getting in the way, Mm -hmm. I think state leaders are going to start to notice. You need, to, you need to put it out there and put it out there in really broad ways, which districts don't necessarily always have the time or the capacity to do. But once you get that story out there again and again, I think they're going to start to take more notice. And when they're paying attention, real change can happen. So that's interesting, telling the challenges. I think um, in education, we've accepted the responsibility for sharing and telling the story. And you know, we've gotten more engaged in that process through social media and tagging our, our policymakers and um, even sit down conversations. But I think where we may have, where we may not be sharing as much on our sites are the challenges. Um, and how could we do a better job of that? Do you have any school districts that you've worked with or that you've seen that have done a really good job of this that we could uh, link to in our show notes? It's an ongoing challenge because most districts are really wary of doing that work. Mm -hmm. So they're not sharing it really publicly. I would say most of what we see out there is, and this is true everywhere, right? Is people post the best part of their day on Instagram Mm -hmm. or Twitter Mm -hmm. and they don't post everything that happened before it. I've got two young kids. So, you know, I post the cute picture, the fact that they were in a fight (laughs) two minutes before, two minutes after isn't what you see. And most districts are doing the same thing. I would say that I know from having conversations with superintendents and district leaders that some of them are also making the phone call to their state leader. They're also sending the email. And even if they're not putting it on their website and they're not putting it out in the world, they are having those conversations behind the scenes so that people understand what's hard. And then they're showcasing the successes so that people see what good can look like and get inspired by it. Mm-hmm. That was a great answer, Amy. That made me laugh about the pictures that we post. And that's why I have that subtle uh, semantic difference between barriers and obstacles, because nine times out of 10, when I meet with the leaders, they say, there's nothing standing in our way. We're going to do whatever we can to you know make it right for kids. And so I really have to dig to find those barriers. I mean, those band-aids, mm-hmm. they're way behind the scenes and they don't talk about them um, that much publicly. But I agree with Amy, and that's one of the reasons why our recommendations to state leaders right now is really to form an either a formal or an informal network of schools. But they don't want to 
they don't need to just hear the challenges and the successes per se. They need to see how school can look different. Mm-hmm. I think that is our under undergirding all of this is the big, the biggest challenge to communications is we all know school as we experienced it. And as our parents experienced it, as most of our kids currently experience. So when we talk about change and new models, it, the number one question I get from every single policy leader is, what does that look like? What does this mean for teachers? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to explain. And But if they can see it, if they can visit your schools, if you can convey it to them, if they hear exciting stories from teachers and students and parents of how school is different and why it's great, that can make a really big difference because then that opens up that conversation of here's what we need from the state so we can build on that, so we can make it bigger, so we can do more of this. So I'm just thinking here, this uh, this idea of telling your story, and you have to be vulnerable, I th- be willing to be vulnerable, and that's kind of hard for, mm-hmm. especially when we get criticized so much sometimes too. How do you put those failures out there or those struggles and what what are the forums to do that maybe social media i'm just thinking off the top of my head here maybe social media isn't the place to do that maybe something like a podcast Um, we have another podcast called shift your paradigm where we talk to schools that are doing these things and if i reflect on it i think some of the more powerful stories are the ones where they're not only uh, sharing their successes but also some of those challenges and barriers that are in there and I, i think that's important because it if we don't, it communicates this message like it's easy work or you mm-hmm. could just do this too and there's no, there are no barriers to this. Look, here's, here's the end product and <laughs> it, it's, a, it's all like bright and shiny. Um, so I, th- I think you've put some really interesting thought-provoking ideas out there. Yeah, Randy, I was in a district last week in Fresno Unified School District in California and we're trying to help them to encourage more risk-taking among their teachers, have their teachers try new instructional models and do new things. And so one of the things that we put in place there is giving out the giraffe award for someone who stuck their neck out and tried Ooh, something. Oh, the giraffe award. <laughs> I love it. So, and so, you know, they've got now these teachers have got stickers on their computers or certificates in their classrooms. And it's not because they did something well. It's because they tried something new. They might have done it well. Hopefully they did, but it's this whole idea of how do we reward, like you were saying, Randy, how do we reward risk-taking and how do we get people to share their stories even when they aren't success stories? Mm -hmm. And so we're figuring out how to do it more and more in districts, although teachers feel really vulnerable doing it too. But to your point, figuring out the forum that leaders can do that and can show what was hard for them is another really important piece of the puzzle. And, and well, most- I think it goes back to, Amy, your, your original statement, which I think is the most foundational component of our entire report, is that tie this back to your overall vision and goals and mission. So you're not just telling a story of how you tried to do something different just for the sake of doing different, just for the sake of experimentation, just for the sake of trying new technology, but because here's the goal we're trying to achieve. This is what we're trying to do for our kids, and what, these are the ways we're trying to get there. So it's always tying back to the ultimate goal and the vision. All right. So um, we're going to head into the next part of our conversation, which is uh, where we invite our guests to uh, respond to some quick lightning round response type questions. Okay. So we got three questions here and we can hear um, from each of you around what your thoughts are. So the first question is, who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about these ideas that we're talking about? 
Every listener has probably heard of or read or listened to Simon Sinek, but I think his TED Talk on defining the why is really worth a listen. If everyone in your district doesn't know why you're going to do something, it's really hard to imagine why they would go ahead and jump into it. And I love the way he lays out the importance of the why and just hits home that message that that is what is going to motivate people and that's going to create willingness to change. Mine's pretty short. There's a blogger. He's executive director of the Next Gen Learning Challenge. His name is Andy Calkins, and he writes pretty regular blogs. And he's the one person who really pushes my thinking. Mm -hmm. One of the things he even said recently was thinking about the verbs that we use. And it challenged me. He said, if we're using terms like implement and scale, then we're not really innovating. Mm -hmm. And so he just, he, he continues to push me. Great. Uh, how about a book? One book that our listeners uh, could consult to, to learn a little bit more about either this topic or just general education topics. Uh, this is not really about this topic, but I just started reading and I'm really enjoying the new book by the Heath brothers on creating moments. And this idea of how do we create powerful and memorable experiences for all learners. And I don't think it's just about the students. I think it's about the adults in our building, the teachers and the leaders, but I love I love that idea of thinking differently about how we're spending our time and our days so that we're really having a different type of lasting impact. And then this is a little bit self-serving, but uh, our CEO, Anthony Kim, just recently released a book called The New School Rules, and it's about rethinking uh, the way districts and organizations operate and just has some really concrete protocols and ideas and processes for finding a way that we can work better because there's no room for anyone in education to work harder. Everyone's working so hard already. Mine's not really a book, but I'll tell you the most powerful report I have read in a couple of years, and that includes even the ones I've written, of course, but the Center <laughs> on Re even on top of that, the Center on Reinventing Public Education spent a couple years doing deep dives in schools all over the country implementing personalized learning. And they've had a series of publications, but the one that really grasped my attention, and I even wrote about it, was uh, Personalized Learning at a Crossroads. It came out, I believe, in June or July. I have read it probably two or three times over. I've blogged about it, and I have her coming to an event of mine soon to speak about it. And it really talks about how the district constructs and school constructs are just not even designed to innovate and how they work against them with really concrete recommendations. So uh, last question of our rapid fire questions here. Uh, we're all learners and we all access certain resources, people, sites, et cetera, to help us learn. So what could you share from your perspective that helps you keep learning? So Twitter, I would say, is the source of most of the articles that I read. I often lose track of who published them, uh, but I find them just through the people who I'm following and who I respect. I turn to George Kuros a lot for really great ideas and the way he crowdsources everyone and just brings ideas to life. And then I really like following Kids President for smiles and kind of daily inspiration. <laughs> I think I look at, at my friends at the Clayton Christensen Institute because I, in my work, I can get really bogged down in the details and the my important details of policy and statutes and regulations. And they help me come back up to the 30,000 foot level. 
and really think about what, what does it mean to be a disruptive innovation? What does it mean that there's jobs to do and how to think broadly about change? So the benefit of having two guests on is our listeners get double the dose of uh, extra resources here. So we'll be sure that all those great resources that you referenced are uh, included in the show notes so our listeners can access those and tap into those resources for their own learning as well. Thank you so much for, um, for joining us. Share with us before we um, wrap this up, what's next for you? What are you working on now that you would like to share with our listeners? So at Ed Elements in general, we're pretty busy. We're doing a lot of work, especially around how do we help school districts to get a handle on where they are in terms of personalized learning and where they want to go. But in particular, in terms of what I've been thinking about, I've also been thinking a lot about the impact of culture on teachers and leaders and really how districts can evolve to getting better at giving feedback. I've also been doing some work thinking about the role of networks and how do we create more ways for educators to really support each other. So stay tuned on either of those issues. There's probably at least a few blogs and a white paper sometime in the future. Well, as usual, it seems like great minds think alike because we've been thinking a lot about networks too. And in our work in the States, we realized that even the staff at the State Departments of Education needed to network and connect mm -hmm. with each other. The folks that are actually charged with implementing and supporting either innovation programs or pilot programs. So we launched a network of state innovation partners uh, for all those reasons with about four meetings a year, two in person, two and a quarter. And we've got about up to 17 states already participating. So we're really excited about that. And that's where I'm going to be spending a lot of my time and learning from them and supporting them. Thank you so much. So thank you to both of you uh, for joining us. We've linked uh, all sorts of resources in the show notes, um, including the paper that you co-authored, uh, your Amy's blog and Twitter, um, the Clayton Christensen Institute, New School Rules by Anthony Kim, and a variety of other resources you shared. Thank you very much. So each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the hope of provoking some reflection and conversation. So this episode's question, what steps can you take now to engage policymakers in supporting next generation learning models? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources, and it is a big list, uh, <laughs> visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season five, episode 17. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Carla and Amy. Thanks, Carla. Thanks, Amy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.